0: Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Alex Hoyer. Activist and author Ashton Applewhite was in St. Louis last week. She's the author of This Chair Rocks, a manifesto against ageism. I began the conversation with her by noting that adding ism to any word sometimes causes people's eyes to glaze over and asked her to define ageism.
1: The dictionary definition is discrimination and stereotyping on the basis of age. We are being ageist any time we make an assumption about someone or a group of people on the basis of how old we think they are. Why
0: write this book now?
1: Well, because everyone is waking up a day older. I know that's not a new phenomenon, but... uh, it's as almost as though ageism is is finally now starting to bleep onto the cultural radar, I think propelled by the fact that my generation i'm sixty six so dead center baby boom uh, is starting to realize that uh, we are actually going to get old, we might even be old and to think about what it means.
0: You mentioned in culture now what do you mean by that uh,
1: i I see more and more. Um, awareness on the part of older people that they are feeling invisible, feeling unappreciated, feeling silenced. And I think, you know, age, like our skin color, like for most of us, our gender, um, and our sexual orientation is a trait about ourselves that we cannot change, and that therefore it's really, really wrong to be discriminated against on the basis of it. The first place, most people encounter it. The first place men encounter ageism, and it's often the first form of discrimination that white men encounter at all, is the workplace. This real, especially in fields like tech and advertising, where to be over 40, even over 35, is to be considered past your prime. No one returns your calls. With 10, 20, 30 more years ahead to support yourself and hopefully to contribute and be in the world in a meaningful way. Women face the double whammy of ageism and sexism. So we experience aging different differently. And we become invisible is a phrase you encounter a lot, um, which I don't love because I think we can just pound on the table till mm-hmm. someone hears us, but not everyone is a table pounder. But um, economists have a, an attractive term, the attractiveness penalty for the way women are judged, not only judged for our appearance more than men, but judged more harshly. So these, you know, and these disadvantages compound over time. You know, in a world of longer lives, population mm-hmm. aging is a permanent global demographic phenomenon. And there are real challenges associated with scaling up the support that an older population will require, but there are also amazing opportunities. I mean, this is new, that the social capital of hundreds and hundreds of thousands of more healthy, well-educated adults than ever before in human history. We need to learn how to tap into that.
0: And is that why you think ageism is rising in consciousness? Because there are uh, more older people in the United States? Because it's not new that, that people are getting older, of course. <laughs> it's,
1: it's not new that people, it's, and, and it's not news that no one wants to die young, something I often point mm-hmm. out. Nor something, another thing I love pointing out is that no one actually wants to be any younger. Mm. No matter how terrified they are, how unwoke they might be about discrimination and all this stuff, no one actually wants to move their game piece back to the beginning of the board unless they can transport their present-day consciousness because we know that our years are what? Make us us. I'm not a Pollyanna about the legitimate, you know, difficulties of aging, although there are only two inevitable bad things about it. I'm in a tell both sides of the story, right? Our fears are so out of proportion mm-hmm. to the reality.
0: Mm-hmm. Why is the feeling of ageism or the consciousness of it, rising in american society today
1: i think it probably is yoked to the aging of the baby boom Mm -hmm. there is also and there's a lot of money to be made in aging services so Uh, yes capitalism uh, is driving some of this uh capitalism um very much drives ageism because if aging is framed as a problem we can be persuaded to buy stuff to quote-unquote stop it, like wrinkle cream or, you know, facelifts or whatever. And if aging is framed as a disease, then natural transitions are pathologized, and we can be persuaded to buy stuff to cure it. And, of course, aging is not a problem or a disease, or otherwise living would be a disease. It's
0: it's a natural part of life. It's
1: a natural, powerful, beautiful part of life.
0: Beautiful. Absolutely. Explain.
1: Look at my wrinkles. (laughs) Aren't they nice? I'm quite fond of them. I mean... That is, I'm being a little flip, but truthfully, where did the idea that the story of my life is written on my face, who should say that's ugly? You
0: know, right. Why is that a bad thing? Why,
1: it's a bad thing because if we stop believing it, the multi-billion dollar skincare anti-aging, if we stop believing that old equals ugly, the multi-billion dollar anti-aging skin Skincare market alone would go out of business.
0: So, so what's fueling these attitudes? Then, is it is it the businesses trying to make money? I, I mean, surely the the media plays plays a part.
1: The media plays a huge
0: part. Because but why, why do we think that aging is is bad?
1: Well, you can't make money off satisfaction, hmm. and it is true that I mean, one of one of the lines of argument is, oh, it's okay to not like old people and think they're yucky because um, they are reminders of death. Uh, I used to think that, but one of the things I learned in my research is that the longer people live, the less they fear dying, and that we conflate aging and dying because we live in a world, an ageist world that bombards us with negative messages about how aging equals decrepitude and death. We are aging from the minute we are born. Dying is a discrete biological event that happens only at the end of all that living. So it's true that, you know, I'm likely closer to death than you, but that does not mean that you look at me, you may think I'm like really, really ancient, but I don't think you're looking at me and thinking she's got one foot in the grave. Just guessing.
0: You said you used to think the opposite. What was the turning point for you? Oh, my
1: gosh. I started writing and thinking about this because I was afraid of getting old. I mean, I was completely... You know, I mean, I, I had not thought to challenge all these mainstream ideas about illness, about disability, um, about loss. And, you know, the, the losses are real, but, uh, but they are made far worse by, a, by the way the culture frames them. And my fears were way out of proportion to reality. I mean, I thought, for example, that the odds of ending up in some, you know, wretched nursing home were pretty good. And it turns out that the percentage of Americans over 65 in nursing homes, not all of senior living, has dropped in the decade I've been working on this from 4% to 2.5%. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and the I thought one of the awful things about getting old, since clearly everything about it was going to be awful, would be the I envisioned the shadow of the grim reaper stretching evermore across the sad iron bedstead. And then I learned that the older people are the less they fear dying. Right. They don't want to die. But the awareness that time is thort, short, the awareness that time is short, which I simply assumed um, would be, you know, just an awful growing Fear does not fill people with dread. It makes them spend their time more wisely and be more careful about who they spend it with. And that is a big component of the psychological underpinnings of the U curve of happiness, which was another thing Mm. I was astonished to learn about. Everywhere in the world, rich or poor, married or single, people are happiest at the beginnings and the ends of their lives. I mean, when I first heard that, I thought they must have cornered two 80-year-olds and given them a cookie and said, how are you doing? Or -hmm. then I thought it must be true if you're rich or true if you're healthy. The most important component of a good old age is not health or wealth. It's having a strong social network.
0: Mm -hmm. As people get older, though, um, their friends start to pass away. Uh, Mm -hmm. They might go into a nursing home. And I think there is some uh, fear that people have of going into a nursing home, and they might not get the kind of uh, care that they think they should get and certainly families uh, uh, feel some concern about that as well. I recently went through the experience of my grandmother who who passed away a couple of months ago and she was in a nursing home and and parts of the care were certainly questionable and it was clear that she was not enjoying life uh, at, at the end of, of her life and so I think that there is some fear.
1: We need to, we need to get better at end of life care, for sure.
0: Oh, definitely.
1: And uh, there is, I mean, I I don't know if you have heard the you know the term the caregiver crisis. I mean, we mm-hmm. we outsource, um, we we expect families to take on a tremendous amount of burden without support. You know, and it is caregiving is a beautiful, natural, important part of life. What makes it a burden is going it alone without supports. We need to, you know, a culture that does not value older people. Doesn't value the people who care for them, whether they're the employees of a nursing home or are supporting, you know, sons and dads and moms and daughters who who care for the people they love. Uh, you know, I am I am really sorry about your mom, your grandmother's experience. I do wonder if it was a for-profit nursing home because they it tend was. to have a lower standard mm-hmm. of care. There is all kinds of exciting stuff happening actually among the radical spirits in nursing homes because my spoiled generation is saying, "Uh uh uh, I'm not going to do that." Burgeoning um, aging-in-place movement to stay at home with supports, which is double-edged. I mean, and one expensive. Re- it's expensive because you. it is cheaper for insurance companies to leave you at home and send in someone once a day to see if you've toppled over in front of the refrigerator mm-hmm. than it is to provide really good quality institutional care. And also aging in place can be a recipe for denial and isolation. Mm-hmm. And once again, the worst, worst thing for you is isolation. Aging in place is fantastic. If it means aging in community, and if you can afford or have access to the supports, the social support, you know, someone to, someone to mow the lawn, someone to shovel the driveway, someone to check and see if you've toppled over in front of the refrigerator.
0: We've, we've talked about aging in, in place and, having, and the importance of a strong social network many times on this program with, uh, with the Oasis Institute, which is uh, based, based here in, in St. Louis. They're buying me lunch in half an hour. Oh, I hope it's a good lunch. (laughs) I'm talking with Ashton Applewhite. She's the author of This Chair Rocks, A Manifesto Against Ageism. What's the responsibility of younger people to combat ageism?
1: That's a great question, and I'm glad you asked it, because one of the things that I like to point out is that ageism is any judgment on the basis of age, Including you, you couldn't. How could you know enough to have this job? How could you be my boss if you're young enough to be my granddaughter? Kids, you know, kids are like that. Ageism cuts both ways. Mm-hmm what so and it casts a shadow across our whole lives i mean one of i don't know anyone who wants to go back to their twenties one of the things that makes your twenties hard is this message that if you're not having you know peak career getting that peak career in place and having peak sex with your perfect body that it's all going to get worse really soon because of this crazy idea that it's all downhill from 30 40 years you know on that is a factor of ageism in the culture it's one thing that makes it hard to be young the the two inevitable bad things about aging are that some part of your body falls apart. Not all of it, but you know some kind of physical decline, not cognitive decline, is not mm-hmm. inevitable. It's some component, not all your body. The other part is that people you've known all your life are going to die. So it's really, really important to make friends of all ages, and it is every bit as important for younger people because that way they become, I have a little thing in the book about becoming an old person in training. It's really hard to imagine being old when you're young. And I don't think that's ageism. I think that's just human. But if you can acknowledge that someday you will be old, if you're lucky, right? And that older you can be a distant dot on the prairie. But then you don't get caught up in this crazy hamster wheel of denial, which is where ageism takes root. It's never going to happen to me. If I eat enough kale and do enough sit-ups, it is going to happen to you. That way, you look at and connect to the older people around you who may be doing things you want to, you admire, or maybe doing things you think, "Hmm, I don't really want to avoid that." So. Younger people can avoid getting on this hamster wheel. And the world, I mean, it's just a better place when people of all ages mix together and share their strengths and their knowledge and their weaknesses and their predilections. Age is a dumb reason to be divided because age, the older a person is, the less their chronological age tells you about them, what they're interested in, what they're listening to. If you don't know many people, who aren't your own age or younger people, older people, find something you like to do and mm-hmm. think of a mixed age group to do it with. And friendships will form naturally around your politics or your gardening or beekeeping mm-hmm. or NPR. We have this idea that age is a chasm mm-hmm. and it's not. The next time you go to a social event, try to break the habit, which we all have, we are all ageist, but you can't challenge bias unless you're aware of it, that habit to make a beeline for people your own age. Mm-hmm. I know for older people, we feel insecure because of our own internalized ageism. Oh, those young people, you know, won't want to talk to me. Well, they probably won't care.
0: Works both ways. It
1: works both ways. And some of them will be delighted to talk to you. And the ones who were jerks are going to stay jerks. But that's true. They, jerks come in all ages.
0: <laughs> and the advice you're giving uh, seems to be what is often said around discussions involving racism. Talk to people Talk to uh, who uh, don't look like you. Exactly. Uh, but yet with racism and sexism, it, it very much seems that 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 is being dealt with more often than it is with ageism, especially uh, concerning sexism in, in this environment of, of Me Too. It seems like that's coming to a head in many places. Sure, it's still out there, but there seems to be more... Uh, acceptance of dealing with sexism and racism as opposed to ageism?
1: I think that's just because um, we're not quite there yet with ageism. I think when I ask people what they think of as criteria for diversity, people don't usually, they always say race, um, sex, um, sexual orientation, sometimes ability. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: When I say age, how about age? No one says that's a dumb idea. No one says, let me get back to you about that. We younger people are, you know, progressive younger people are raised on this idea of intersectionality, that different forms of oppression compound and reinforce each other. Mm -hmm. Hitching age to that sled, as it were, is a much smaller ask than it was to say 60 years ago, a woman could be a mother and, you know, a fantastic mother and have a full-time job, could run a Fortune 500 company as well as a man. Saying that age should not be a criterion for diversity is a very small ask in this cultural climate if you ask me and also pointing out that we are facing a lot of really big challenges in the world today and it is obvious that we need to come together at all ages to work on them and in a way if we are at all ages at the table it's not that you know my self-appointed job is done but you have already broken sort of the spell the idea that oh we couldn't have anything in common across age just as we want people of different colors and different orientations, sexual orientations, etc., body types, the works, and some wheelchairs, please. I've started to make a bet about how long it'll be till the AARP magazine shows someone using a walker and sitting in a wheelchair. Uh,
0: we were talking earlier about media portrayals. Uh, yeah,
1: I mean, older people tend to be absent from advertising and the media, or reinforcing stereotypes, whether positive or negative, you know, the placid granny or the cranky grandpa. And those even, even you know, benevolent stereotypes are stereotypes. They're not good for us.
0: I want to talk about politics for a moment. Um, when uh, Bernie Sanders announced that he was going to run for president, I was looking on social media. I was looking on Twitter and Facebook. And there were people, even young progressive Democrats, and they were saying, a white old man. Mm-hmm. Uh, an old man running for president, and uh, I was I was stunned by that.
1: Oh, I'm happy you were
0: stunned. And uh, but I suppose not surprised. You are right, I
1: think, to think that that is a sexist, ageist, racist thing to say. Yes. I mean, it pains me to say anything in defense of white men these days. Needless to say, but I I remember that day and noticing that in a lot of. Uh, media outlets from progressive to, you know, conservative, it was framed as the age problem. And that sent a shiver down my spine because it made me think of the race problem. And the race problem is quite simply racism. And the age problem is ageism. It is no more acceptable to say you can't do this job because you're old or young too old, too old or too young, then it is to say you're too white, you're too gay, you're female, you're using a wheelchair. It is bigotry, pure and simple. The a candidate should be judged by their abilities, by their ideology and health matters, absolutely. Bernie Sanders and every candidate in my opinion, you know, should have a physical not performed behind closed doors by a quack and make it public. And the health of his running mate matters too. Mm-hmm but the health of you know and of course again an 80 year old is closer to death actuarially speaking than a 43 year old but JFK was i think 43 right and bernie sanders seems to me to have the constitution of a locomotive so <laughs> actuarial tables say nothing about the likelihood of any given person surviving
0: x number of years how do we combat this in politics we've talked about how you can do it in your social circles get to know somebody but but what do we do about call it out
1: call it out and I mean and, and what we do about it is you know the 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 mission that I have embarked upon with more and more help all the time which is really exciting which I'm seeing on my book tour um, to spark a grassroots movement like the women's movement i mean suppose we were talking about the role and position of women in society which you just referenced with me too where would that discussion be if we left sexism and feminism out of it right if we want a world of age equity right that supports people across the lifespan that supports young people too because you know this is not a culture that's that's friendly to young people either mm-hmm. and you know helps helps families with young kids helps people uh, work longer and then move more transition more gradually out of the workplace and doesn't you know doesn't leave us on our own i mean the ugly heart of ageism is the idea that you age out of having value as a human being and i don't know about you but that is ugly and that is not the world i want to live in as a young person or an older person we need a grassroots movement to raise awareness of ageism and to challenge it the way the women's movement did around entrenched sexism in society around us.
0: That's author and activist Ashton Applewhite, who was in St. Louis last Wednesday. She's the author of This Chair Rocks, a manifesto against ageism. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU.